The reading is taken from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 36, beginning at 16, and it's on page 868 of the Church Bibles, and it's entitled, Israel's Restoration Assured. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the people of Israel were living in their own land, they defiled it by their conduct and their actions. Their conduct was like a woman's monthly uncleanness in my sight. So I poured out my wrath on them because they had shed blood in the land and because they had defiled it with their idols. I dispersed them among the nations and they were scattered through the countries. I judged them according to their conduct and their actions. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. For it was said of them, these are the Lord's people and yet they had to leave his land. I had concern for my holy name which the people of Israel profaned among the nations where they had gone. Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says, it is not for, you, for, it is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decree and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors and you will be my people and I will be your God. Good morning. You hear me okay? Excellent. Right, if you've got that open in front of you, just, just kind of keep it there. Um, fantastic passage. Challenging passage to do in uh, 15 minutes, right, Tim? So I'm, <laughs> uh, we've had a little dialogue, haven't we? Because Tim saw my first draft. Um, so 
we're going to continue our study, our series in the Holy Spirit this morning, but obviously we find ourselves um, kind of in the Old Testament and in what's referred to as one of the major prophets. That doesn't mean that Ezekiel is more important than the minor prophets, it just means it's bigger. Um, and actually all the minor prophets originally were collected together in one book, so they were kind of of equivalent size to the major. So don't think of major and minor in terms of importance. Um, but Ezekiel is one of the major prophets. It's big. It's, it's, a, it's a long prophecy. It's actually a collection of oracles. It's not just a single oracle. It's a collection of oracles that have kind of compressed into one anthology over time. Um, and it was written between 597 B.C., and 571 BC. So it's kind of like a, a ministry over time. Um, and so we're talking 600 years before Christ that this was written. Um, and so we ask ourselves, perhaps, how could this speak to us? How could this speak to us today um, in 2022? Um, and hopefully we can draw out some things today for us. Um, whilst acknowledging that this is a, a prophecy for a particular people at a particular time, um, and yet still speaks to us. And sometimes when we think about prophecy, we think about future telling, um, but that isn't its only purpose. It's also to speak truth to people in a particular situation. And this situation was particularly tough. Um, the, uh, Ezekiel had been uh, captured along with 10,000 other Jews and had been taken away to a foreign kingdom. Um, Jerusalem and, and the kind of kingdom of Israel, which had already been divided into two, was, was in tatters. And actually during Ezekiel's uh, period of ministry, um, the, the city of Jerusalem was sacked and the temple was burnt to the ground. So this was an incredibly difficult period. Ezekiel himself, his wife was killed while he was in exile. Um, so it's a particularly dark period of history of God's people. And so what does it have to say to us today? I don't know if this is a helpful image, but I, I sometimes like to think about the prophecies in the Old Testament a little bit like the stars in the sky, a little bit like the stars in the sky. They're distant, and we know that as we look at stars, what we're actually seeing is a vision of the past, because by the time the light gets to us, what we're seeing has already happened. So we're looking at something that's distant, far away. We're looking at something that has happened already, in the distant past, and yet we can still use the stars to navigate our way across the sometimes dark seas of our present lives. So they are both of present help and of distant and past relevance. I don't know if that helps at all, because I don't know about you, but Ezekiel probably isn't a book that you often turn to for guidance about how you live your life today. But can I encourage you that the prophets, the major prophets and the minor prophets, still have a great deal to say to us now beyond just the foretelling bits about Jesus' identity, which is the bits we tend to context. Can I just encourage you that it doesn't take much of a stretch of imagination to see the relevance now. Okay, Ezekiel lived and ministered during a time of huge social and political upheaval. Sound familiar? Huge social and political upheaval. There were aggressive political regimes that operated on the world stage, and they sought to extend their power and influence over others. There was frequent conflict between nations. There was insecurity of resources. There was mass forced migration. People endured personal loss 
on a Social structures were collapsing. People were afraid about their futures. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds familiar. You know, the, the Jewish people had rejected God during this period. They'd sought protection in their own ways. They'd sought solace from other earthly rulers and idols. They'd formed alliances with people, and they had really rejected God. And despite the obvious time difference, I'd like to suggest this morning that the nature of human society at the time of Ezekiel wasn't all that different from the society that we live in today. And therefore, I believe that much of what Ezekiel says in this prophecy can speak to us today as we try and navigate our lives. I hope you agree with me. And just very briefly for context, because I know that time is short, but Ezekiel, like a lot of the prophets, operates where it's, uh, if you're a musician, you'll understand this, from the minor to the major key. So the first half of the book is kind of the minor key. It's the bit about the kind of the, the disobedience of the nations and the, the kind of anger of God. And then it navigates into what we would might call the major key, where it starts to resolve and God starts to talk about how he's going to restore his people. Um, and, and that's kind of, the, and as we land in um, chapter 36. We're landing at that moment when the piece of music goes from the minor, the dark key, to the major key, where things start to resolve, when God starts to lay out his plans and promises for his people. So, we're in the major key, and yet there are still elements of the minor key in it, which I think we have to deal with first. We have to deal with first. So, we should notice, for example, that in this chapter, it states in no uncertain terms the consequences of the disobedience of God's people. We should notice, perhaps with a little bit of discomfort, the implications of that disobedience for God himself. For God himself. If you look at verse 21, Ezekiel states that God's name had been profaned among the nations. God's name had been profaned among the nations. So how did they do this? How did the people do that? Why is their disobedience so harmful to the name or reputation of God on the earth? And I think to answer that question, we have to remember why Israel were chosen in the first place. The whole point was that he would use this nation to reveal himself to humankind. That was the mission. That was the point. These are my chosen people. I am going to reveal myself through them, says God, to all human beings so that humanity might know me better. That was the point, right from Abraham onwards. And this mission hasn't changed. So, when God's own people get it wrong, when they suffer humiliation, when the temple is destroyed, what does that say about the God that they serve? What does that say about His power? What are the implications of that? And the answer is that people point and scoff and say, ha, where is your God now? Where is your God now? Now, it's deeply hurtful to God to have his name profaned in such a way. It's not fair. It's not just. It's not right, because that isn't the God of Israel. And the challenge for us this morning, I think, everybody, is to take on that responsibility that we are God's people, that we are God's people. The theologian Tom Wright says, we're like angled mirrors reflecting the glory of God in the earth. That's kind of what we're all about. That's what the church is 
for. And so can I suggest to us this morning, and this is kind of the minor key, everybody, so I'm sorry to kind of start with the tough. It gets better and easier later, but let's start with the difficulty. It is our responsibility as his church to reflect the name of God on this earth. That's our job. That's what it means to be a witness. And I'm afraid that means that our behavior, our choices, the way that we treat fellow human beings is going to reflect on him. It's going to reflect on him. And, and we won't get this right sometimes, but when we don't get that right, we profane his name. People kind of say, hang on, I thought you were a Christian. What, is that, what does that mean about your God if you're behaving in this way? It's a challenge. It's a challenge this morning. It's a challenge. It's a challenge of integrity, which is a popular word in the newspapers at the moment. We can all relate to this idea, can't we? That what you stand for is reflected in how you behave in the day-to-day, behind closed doors. Behind closed doors. Now, thankfully, not many of us are going to find ourselves in the Daily Mail, but it matters. The small decisions we make reflect who we stand for, who we stand for, and we stand for God this morning. In verse 23, it says, God reminds us that his people, that his purpose is that the nations will know that he is the Lord. And that's our mission, everybody. That's our mission, to reflect the name of God in this earth. And it hasn't changed from 2,600 years ago. The challenge is the same. The challenge is the same. Right, that's the minor key. Okay, everyone happy? First challenge. There's good news, though because it modulates to the major key in this piece. So from verse 24 onwards, God starts to reveal his plans for his people. Even though he says that they've profaned his holy name, he will yet intend to keep using them to fully reveal his true nature in this world. Good news, major key. And he promises four things to his people. He promises cleansing, he promises a new heart, He promises a new spirit, and then he promises heavy blessing. Heavy blessing. That's the good bit. So let's take a moment to think about how this is relevant to us now. So follow with me. The first thing he does is he promises cleansing. And we know from the ministry of Jesus, don't we, that God always begins with cleansing. Always begins with cleansing. It's the the first principle always begins with cleansing. Jesus himself started his ministry by going through baptism, not because he needed to, but because he recognized that that's where it begins. That's where human ministry begins. It begins with cleansing because he recognized and he wanted to model that it's always the first step that human beings need to take if they're going to exist in a righteous relationship with God. It always starts with cleansing. Nothing can change unless we are first cleansed. Nothing can change. And this is what Paul says in Hebrews. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. And it is so similar to our passage. It is so similar to our passage when he says, for I will take you out of the nations, verse 24, I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land, verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I think it's vital this morning that we acknowledge the truth that repentance and cleansing must come before empowerment and blessing. 
Repentance and cleansing comes before empowerment and blessing. God does not pour out His Spirit on those with unclean hearts. This is what Jesus says in John chapter 3. I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Notice the order. Water and the Spirit. Righteous cleansing must come first before empowerment and blessing. And that doesn't mean that he only uses the perfect. We know that isn't true, thank goodness. But the Spirit is promised in this passage only after God's people are made clean. So the good news, thankfully, is that this cleansing is in no way a consequence of our own efforts. Look at the language of verse 25. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities, says God. I will do it. It's God who is the active agent here. He is the one who sprinkles and cleanses. And look how the outcome is certain. He says, if we allow God to sprinkle clean water on us this morning, we will be made clean. We will be made clean. And we know that 2,600 years later, God himself stepped into the world in order to bring living water to all who are thirsty. And that the blood of Jesus shed for you and for me brings healing, forgiveness, and cleansing. Amen? It's true. It's true. The promise for us this morning is that God will cleanse us of our sins if we just ask. But we have to ask. And if we desire to be a church, a people who experience the daily inspiration of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we must also be a people who take seriously the call to repentance. They go hand in hand. Secondly, like any good operation, following a good kind of cleansing comes the heart surgery. You don't get that the other way around. It comes the heart surgery. And we see this amazing image in verse 26 where he tells his people that he will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Ah, it's such a beautiful poetic image. Give you a heart of flesh. I love it. It tells us so much, doesn't it, about God's understanding of the humans he has made. He understands that some surgery is required. You know, when we choose to live separate from God, when we choose to go our way, we, we build for ourselves a heart of stone, a heart that has no feeling, no life, a heart that weighs us down, and it petrifies our very humanity. So many people live with a heart of stone. And if you live with a heart of stone, my friends, you're no longer a proper human being. You're not a full human being, not the way that God intends. It makes me think of uh, the, the story, uh, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe by C.S. Lewis. I don't know how many, I'm sure people know it. It's pretty well known, isn't it? You've seen the movie or read the books. And um, in the story, there's the Aslan figure, a lion who allegorically kind of represents Jesus. And I'm sure you remember the scene where he goes into the courtyard where all of kind of the ice witch and all of the creatures of the wood are kind of in stone. You remember the scene? And you remember what Aslan does? He goes round and he breathes on them and he turns them into flesh. He brings them back. And it's just 
exactly what we see here. And we see it in chapter 37 of Ezekiel as well, with the prophesying, prophesying to the bones to breathe on them and they come to life. That's what God promises to do. He breathes new life into His people. And when He does that, He returns them to the fully human state that He had always intended them to occupy, right at the beginning of the story. So if you feel this morning that you're that you've got a bit of a heart of stone, if that's how you feel this morning, if you feel that you're living your life as a shadow of the human being that you should be, can I encourage you to open up your heart for a little expert surgery this morning? For a little expert surgery. God longs to give us all a heart of flesh, a living, beating, life-giving center that will fill our very selves with vibrancy and love. And so why don't we ask God for such a heart this morning? Thirdly, following the cleansing and the heart surgery, what comes next? Ah, God promises His Spirit. He says, I will put my Spirit in you. I will put my Spirit in you. Notice how personal that is. He doesn't kind of say, I'm just going to kind of wash Spirit over a congregation. He says, I'm going to put my Spirit in you. It's personal. It's personal. It's individual. You know, if you look at the story of Pentecost, what we find is that there's a, great, there's a great sound and there is fire, but then the tongues of fire, I don't know if you remember this, they separate and come to rest on each of them individually. It's personal. It's precise. Heart surgery and giving of the Spirit. It's precise. God wants to pour out His Spirit on each one of us this morning, not just generically in the room. Personal for you and for me. He wants to put His Spirit in you. He wants to breathe on you and melt that heart of stone. And how do we know if we're given the Spirit? How do we know? You know, there's lots of talk about spiritual gifts, and I've spoken about that before, and you know I've got a bit of a hang-up there, which is a bit of a shame. I'm, I'm working through it. Thank you for helping me. But look at verse 27. He says, if you've got the Spirit of God, what you do is you follow His decrees. You follow his decrees. So can I suggest this morning that if we're filled with this Holy Spirit, what that might mean is that we might live life according to the way that God wants us to live life, that we might be a blessing to others in the way that we love our neighbor and the way that we are generous and charitable and the words that we speak are words of encouragement. That's how you know if the Holy Spirit is in you, I think, along with other signs and wonders, and I'm not for a moment suggesting those things aren't true or real, but I'm just saying they're not the only sign. It's how we live tells us if we are filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's how we bring glory to God's name. And finally, the prophecy ends with this description of rich and abundant blessing, and it comes for those that are the people of God. Ezekiel describes, and I kind of run slightly beyond our passage, I'm sorry. Ezekiel describes a new society where the towns are resettled and the ruins are rebuilt. He describes a landscape that will be, quote, like the Garden of Eden, rich and abundant. And all of this, of course, looks beyond the return of the Israelites, which it definitely is about, but it is also looking beyond into the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan for all nations. 
It was always God's intention to use the people of Israel to make himself known to all nations. And we see it confirmed again in verse 36 and echoed elsewhere in the other prophets and confirmed through the ministry of Jesus and in the letters and the images of revelation of a new heaven and a new earth. The mission of God and his purposes for his people has not changed through all this time and can be summarized in verse 36 of Ezekiel. It says, then the nations will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. It's the very heart of the gospel in Ezekiel. Who knew? The very heart of the gospel. God is in the business of rebuilding what has been destroyed this morning. Do you believe that? He's in the business of rebuilding what has been destroyed and replanting what has been rendered desolate. He promises to you and me that if we return to him, if we ask for a clean new heart, and if we welcome the presence of his Holy Spirit in our lives, then those parts of our lives that are destroyed will be rebuilt. And the desolate corners of our minds and our relationships will be replanted with fresh abundance. It's good news. It's good news. And he promises by his Spirit that he will empower us to build up and replant the ruined and desolate people that we find ourselves surrounded with. They are all around us. So let's ask for a clean heart this morning. Let's ask to be sprinkled Let's ask for forgiveness. Let's ask for a heart of flesh. Let's ask for an empowerment of the Holy Spirit so that we might go out and we might bring glory to his name and rebuild and replant in our society. That's the mission for us this morning. And let's just close with this prayer, which is Psalm 51. Let's just close with this and try and echo this in your heart this morning as I read it. Psalm 51 says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Amen.